Okay. Now we're recording. Now we're recording. Let's talk about um, we are um Jesus. <laughs> not a mess on your fingers, though, because you had donut holes that and not a donut. That is correct. That's right. Hey-o. We do this the right way. Good morning. Because we are the home of professional podcasting. I'm going to get shirts that say that Christmas is coming. <laughs> if you want a shirt, put your size below. <laughs> How are the mugs coming? Uh, if you want a shirt, put your size <laughs> below. Mugs were promised. Mugs. Mugs are coming. It takes a while. That's not true. It doesn't take very long. Let's go into Luke. All right, let's go into Luke. So we've been progressing uh, through this, and we're getting toward the end of the story. And um, as we've been moving through Luke's whole um, recording of events so that all of us would be able to have a, a, a sure foundation for our faith to know the certainty of what we've been taught, it all hinges on on this idea from Luke 19.10 that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And now, having spent most of this book seeking, declaring the message, calling people to repentance because the kingdom of God is near, establishing the inauguration of the kingdom and this now and not yet uh, sort of perspective, which my sister was just chiding me about not doing the Amy Grant song, The Now and the Not Yet. Maybe we'll do that before we get done. Now we get to the place where he's doing the saving, mm -hmm. where the crucifixion actually takes place. And um, as we were looking at this on Sunday, the, the whole crux of the gospel hinges here. Mm -hmm. the, the idea, all of human history, really, what God has been doing from the beginning until the very end of time all hinges on Christ on the cross for us, at this substitutionary atonement. Live stream, you can see Jeff walking around in the background. Sorry. Stacy's very distracted by <laughs> the, the, it's like something the shiny. images in the screen. Uh. Squirrel. So, uh, so coming back to the serious topic of Christ on the Sorry. cross, um, which I can understand how it can be distracting having cleaners behind you as you're doing this. Uh, all of human history hinges on this from from God creating this perfect universe, everything right, our relationships pure and undefiled, and, and this absolute perfect intimacy and harmony in all of creation, one with God, one with one another. There's no separation between the, the man and the woman. There's no shame. There's no... Uh, ulterior motives, the, the animal kingdom is at peace, all of the, the physical realm is in harmony, and then sin comes in and everything falls apart. We have this fall of humanity, but it affects all of creation. So there's this curse on the entire physical order. So the, the, the actual laws of nature change and entropy enters the system and everything since then has been hurtling toward death, disorder, and decay. Mm -hmm. And now, as, as we get to this place, we're coming to the culmination. Keep going. Uh, we're coming to the culmination of, now I'm distracted. I'm sorry. Uh, of all of these things, God has been working in the redemption of his people um, from Genesis 3 up until um, this very moment that we're in right now to work out the redemption, to bring to bring the people that he created for himself back to himself. And so as we are, um, as we're seeing Israel 
uh, established and, and their history played out through the Old Testament leading up to Christ. That's all part of the same story. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he clarifies and he, he shares the, the truth of God's law, what God had always intended and where we had gotten away. He was um, reforming in that sense by, by refocusing us on the truth that has always been true, the eternal truth of God's word. So then now we get to the, the culmination of that as he's been arrested. Last time we were together, we talked about the arrest and the trial and this kangaroo court kind of thing where they had already decided how this was going to go before it was played out. And now as he's he's there, we see in, in uh, starting with verse 26 of chapter 23, uh, as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus carried his own cross. Mm -hmm. And yet the other three gospels talk about Simon coming and, and carrying it. So um, what what we see here is that Jesus carrying his cross and the burden is too great. It, it, he's mm -hmm. He's been going through this all night. I mean, he's been beaten. He, he's clearly not slept because it's been an ongoing thing. Um, and but that's like small potatoes compared to the weight of the world. That, that's that's right. So beyond the physical burden, right. which clearly, you know, suffering in his human form this is overwhelming but jesus also is carrying our sin mm -hmm. and so uh we see throughout this account that that it, as luke lays out the story it kind of the structure kind of rests on these characters that mm -hmm. that come through and so we see simon and the women that are following who are mourning and, and wailing and what interesting thing is the women are here throughout this whole thing so they're kind of in the background and while he talks about these other uh, other characters, there are the faithful women who continue, and we see them again at the end. They're following, they're mourning and wailing. At the end, they're preparing the spices for the burial, and then they rest out of obedience to the law so they, they're not violating the Sabbath. And, and always here, the, whatever else is going on, there's a constancy, there's a stability that these women are bringing to it. Here unnamed, but we'll see them named later. And, and we see with this prospect of, of Simon being there that Jesus didn't come, he didn't come as like this Herculean person. He didn't have supernatural right. powers to, to be more than human. And that's he, kind of what people were expecting, wasn't it? Just some kind of great warrior? Sort of, yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, I hadn't thought of it quite that way until you said it, but that they were kind of expecting a Herculean right. character um, whether they would have consciously thought right, that or right, not. Right, right, They're looking at a, a guy, somebody who's mixed between Someone God and man. Someone who looks like a hero. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, you know, has the, the power of God to come in and, right. and be Samson and Moses and right, Solomon right, right, all right, rolled right. into one and be able to endure all these things and not have to suffer because he'd just come in and, and be like Thor on the scene. And Jesus is not Superman. You know, he, he is fully God. He does not relinquish his deity as he comes to earth, but he is fully man. He is human in every sense, facing every temptation, every right. hardship, every difficulty that we do the same way that we do without special divine intervention to lessen the pain or anything like that, and and yet without sin. And because of that, and, and I think this is... this 
picture. I've always wrestled with why why is this story here? Why is this, you know, Catholics will put that at your stations of the cross when right. you see this. Why? What what does that add to the story? And two things that I see is one, it couches it in historicity. And we see right. that that right. Simon is the father of uh, Rufus and Alexander. Well, Paul thanks a Rufus uh, in one of his letters. I, uh, I think it's Romans, but I wasn't thinking about it before I started here, so I've forgotten. I, I think it's Romans. Uh, and he, he he mentions Rufus, and, and many believe that it's the same Rufus. Mm. Um, the fact that, that they're spoken of in this way seems to indicate that they were well-known Right. among the Christian church right, at right, that time. Right. So by mentioning Simon of Cyrene, and um, Cyrene had a major Jewish uh, settlement. There were a number of Cyrenian Christians um, who developed later on. So in, in all likelihood, their recording of this man and his sons, specifically naming his sons, is because, what else do the sons add to it? Right. But now people can say, oh, wait, if Luke is establishing the credibility of this, the foundation of this, well, we know those guys. Right. You know, or, or we, my grandfather hung out with this guy or whatever. You know, there's a connectedness there. But more than that, we see the humanity of Christ in this, that Jesus suffered as a man, not as a superman. He mm -hmm. didn't come in mm -hmm. as more. He was he was God in the flesh, but he was flesh. And so he had to endure the same things that we had to endure. And we also see that the weight of sin is, is overwhelming and it's progressive. And mm -hmm. we see, as Jesus says to these, to these women here, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves, weep for your children. And because the time is coming with all of the hardships that are going to come right now, this is fresh right now. There's, there's excitement and we've seen all this stuff. If this is how it's going to be now, Imagine how it's going to be later, right. how much worse it's going to be. And he's already said that harder times will come and that before that judgment and during that judgment that will come at the end, it, you're going to be just wishing that you could die. You're going to wish that this could, that the mountains could fall on you. And he, he quotes that here and refers to how much worse it's going to be. The weight of sin on on an individual and on society increases. It's an increasing progressive thing. And we can see that here in, in our own American society, right. that the sin that has affected us, it, it it's not like it just stays stagnant. It's, it's no, like a cancer right, that grows right. and spreads and, and the weight of it continues to increase and it's too much for us to bear. A society can't bear it, let alone an individual. Well, so at what point then there's got to be a breaking point, right? Well, there is. And so, and, and that's kind of the picture that we see here with Simon. This is sort of a breaking point in that physical humanity of Christ that they command Simon and, right. and, you know, right. and he takes this from him. But that's true for all of us, honestly. Mm -hmm. and, and the adversity and the, the weight of it does break us and it either can break us like judas mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. we give up we give up hope we give up faith we don't care and we try to control it ourselves and judas ends his life that right. way or it can break us like peter where you get to the bottom like i never imagined i could be here right now right and so my inclination then is god save me 
I, I don't want to be like this. And then we repent and we change our thinking and we change our direction. And we see Peter, uh, especially as we see uh, what Luke will record at the beginning of Acts, which is kind of the volume two of this book. We see Peter then um, no longer the timid individual, mm -hmm. no longer afraid to speak the name of Christ, but boldly proclaiming Christ in the middle of a hostile crowd, mm -hmm. so much so, so convincingly in, in as he's doing this, he believes it so strongly and the Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully that 3,000 people get saved as opposed to, I'm with a servant girl at a campfire and I, I deny know, right? who he is. So it's not about us, it's about him. But the weight of our own sin and the weight of the sinfulness of the world around us is crushing, it's mm -hmm. overwhelming, mm -hmm. and, it, and it doesn't go away. It's not like, you know, I'm going to take a nap and get up and I might feel better about it, but the weight is still there. Right. I can't drink it away. Right. I can't, you know, hide through my religion. I can't, you know, the Middle Ages was fraught with people trying so hard to free themselves from the guilt and the weight of sin. But the theology and doctrine of the time was corrupted and not in keeping with the scripture. And so it didn't provide that hope for them. So what the reformers did, what Luther did, obviously coming out of October, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about Luther. What Luther did was to refocus everything in the church over the course of many years. It took a lot to get there. But to refocus us on the scripture. What does God actually say? Not what does the church teach, but what does the word of God actually say? And that changes everything. For himself, he was overwhelmed with guilt. Right. He couldn't function. The church, when you look at it that way, it seems like the church makes everything a little bit easier if we want to stick with like religion. Like I'm thinking specifically about, I'm not trying to hate on anybody, but I'm thinking specifically about Catholicism. Sure. And, and uh, A lot of the middle, medieval teachings have held over and they're still right. present. But like going, not to, all, but like going well. to confession. Yeah. Uh, you do something wrong, you go, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it all works. You do something wrong, you go to confession, you have to do X, Y, Z, and then you're absolved. Yeah. That's the and difficulty with with what I would call externalist religion. Uh, because, you know, people will take issue with whatever I say, but that that I would refer to it as externalist religion. When we, when we have the, the kind of legalism that says, I do this to get God's grace, which was the specific teaching, right. and to my knowledge still is, uh, um, that... That we do what is in us. We do the best that we can, and then God will take care of the rest. But the reality is none of us do the best that we can. Right. We, we, we don't. We're not even, even if you think you do, you're not. Right. And that was what was a burden for Luther is if, if anybody, in, in his words, if anybody could be saved by monkism, by monkishness, I was the best right. of that. I did more. I was, and it, was, it sounds a lot like Paul. Yeah. I, I went so far that I drove my brothers crazy because mm -hmm. I was pushing it so hard. And yet, I could not be absolved of my sin. I couldn't get rid of this weight. And I think there's guilt. something within us innately that even if you, even if your surface believes that you're absolved of that sin, or you're mm -hmm. letting it go, or you're drinking it away, or you're doing this or whatever, there's something in you. I think that can that weight is, is still there. Yeah, that uh, weight is still there. Especially when the Holy Spirit is nagging at you, right. saying, "Hey, hey, you know, come to the truth." And in legalism simultaneously makes things easier and harder. It mm -hmm. gives us a checklist. Right. So we can actually see here, if I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. Then everything's but it, good. And it, it makes it harder because now we have to strive. Right. And we still end up in the same boat. I've striven and done everything that I can, and yet I know that I still fall short. I'm right. still not meeting God's standard. And that was where Luther ended up. You know, He was miserable. 
he actually came to a place where he wasn't sure he loved God at all. In fact, he thought he might hate God because he can see the holiness of God and the, the necessity of being like God and the impossibility as a broken sinner of doing what is required. I can't do the best that I can. It's not in me to do the best that is in me. Right. And so that that created that a, a different sort of hunger. And then, well, there are a whole lot of things, but, the, but that idea of trying to be, trying to do more so that I can gain the grace of God absolutely undoes the entire concept of grace. Right. If I'm earning that grace, then it's not grace. Right. You know, and that's what Paul says. It's not a gift, it's wages. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. you, nobody is excited about a gift that you worked for because that's just work. You know, that's how it works. Right. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's grace. And grace is something that you can't earn. If you could, it wouldn't be grace. Right. So that that's where um, we see in Christ this picture on the cross being the centerpiece of everything is more than an illustration. It is literally our redemption. It's the substitutionary atonement, Christ taking my place, mm-hmm. dying the death that I was supposed to die, that each of us was supposed this to die. This horrible, horrible death. Yeah. I had a Mormon like, friend years ago ask me, well, you know, the cross, why are you so focused on the cross? If Jesus had been shot, would you, you know, would you wear a bullet around your neck and all these? And I said, well, yeah, maybe, you know, but he wasn't. Right. God saw fit for him to not have some clean death, not to have quick, some, quick. This, right. this specific death was ordained by right. God for Christ. And that's hard for us to stomach. But there was never a time at any point in history, even before the creation of the world, that God did not know that this was going to happen to Christ. That was his plan. And I think the suffering is a big part of it. It, it's a Not huge just the part death it. itself, but the suffering yeah. that came before it. It's a huge part of it. And that's why, you know, you see Peter go back to that, or Paul go back to that, talking about the suffering of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Peter saying, he, he suffered in your place, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps mm-hmm. on this path of suffering. That suffering is part and parcel of walking in this life anyway, but suffering unjustly in particular is an opportunity for us to reflect Christ. How we do that in this world is a picture of us following Christ. And the idea that we should somehow have this prosperous life that if if God is blessing us, then he's going to just give us stuff. He's going to take away our pain. He's going to make things go away. That kind of a prosperity gospel is completely and specifically anti-biblical. I think it's, we want to see Jesus that way too, as this shiny, you know, glowing clean shaven yeah. kind of what guy or whatever and i think that's why like like movies that do it really well like the, like the passion of the christ when it's so gritty and real yeah. and I, like that makes people uncomfortable because we don't necessarily want to think about jesus that way we want to think about the jesus is my homeboy kind of right. or you know figure. going back to the medieval um, theology that was out there he the portrayal of christ was as a valiant warrior like mm-hmm. a, as this great righteous knight and and that I think we don't have enough of that today in many ways, but but the, a lot of the theology that developed, including you know the prayers to saints and, and to Mary and so on, um, kind of arose out of that. That that Jesus became rather unapproachable to the common person. You think of Jesus like nobility, right. which of course he he is ultimately. Right. But that that partial theology where we see only that victorious warrior, that that mighty 
king that you picture can't, that you can't approach. is unapproachable. Right. So <laughs> to borrow from a Lutheran professor I was just listening to recently, of course, you know mom's nice, right? So, <laughs> so of course Mary becomes more approachable. I can't get to Jesus, so if I go to Jesus's mom, you know, and Hi, Jesus's mom. Not really to to make light of it, but that's kind of the that the, makes sense. the concept where those things originated, and then it was centuries before that became actual canon law. But as as we look at how we view Christ, it changes our approach to Christ. So if we see him rightly, if we understand God, that's that's why we want to connect the reality of God to the realities of life through this podcast and, and through uh, you know everything in our teaching ministry at the church. We want to be able to get to where we see God for who he is. We mm-hmm. see Christ for who he is. We see mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit for who he is. And when we see the Godhead rightly, when we see God rightly, then it changes how we approach him. So mm-hmm. God is unapproachable light. And yet... From inapproachable light, he came to earth and put on flesh to become one of us. And he will return as the ruling king and and put down all opposition. That's going to happen. But in the meantime, he suffered as one of us. He died in our place. Not because there's anything we could ever do to deserve the holy God against whom we have sinned coming to die in our place. Mm -hmm. We tend to think of sin as some crimes against humanity. You know, that it's an extremely anthropocentric perspective. We we think of things from our from man centered place where, um, you know, things are wrong because it hurts people. You know, it's wrong because we've decided it's morally wrong. That's not in any way what determines right or wrong. There's an objective reality flowing from the character of God. And so God is pure. Therefore, that which is impure is sinful. And it's a crime against God Mm -hmm. when we fall short of his glory. So everything that we do, if I sin against you, I'm ultimately sinning against God. That's why David in Psalm 51 would say, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, he clearly sinned against Bathsheba. He clearly sinned against her husband. He clearly sinned against his other wives he, he clearly you know which is kind of funny he, in itself he sinned against the kingdom of god right. but his perspective is whatever else i did that pales in comparison right. to the fact that i sinned against you everything that i do every every sin i have is against you and yet god in the midst of our sin against him chooses to break through the darkness to come intervene hmm. to save us all god and then when Christ ascends and returns to the throne to, to take his seat of authority next to the Father, he leaves the Holy Spirit with us so that, as Paul writes in Ephesians, in every believer, from the moment you receive and, and, and take hold of the word of truth, you are marked by the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee. You're sealed. You can't mess up because he's doing it. It's all God. It's the Spirit in you who has guaranteed you so that the one who started this work in you will be faithful to, com- to complete it, to work it out to its ultimate finish in the day of Christ Jesus. So that this cross of Christ is the centerpiece of all of this. From creation, through the fall, through this, this great time of redemption when peace with God is offered, to the final consummation of all things, the cross is the center of it. It's God putting on flesh, dying in our place, so that as many as receive him, 
To them, he gives the right to become his children, not not by human will or human decision or a husband's will, but because God has made this happen. And that's even depicted, uh, I think it was we covered this part this week too, uh, with the two other criminals uh, oh, yeah. on, on there on the crosses when, when, you know, he's, I mean, everybody knows the story, but I think that's a good uh, representation of what has been given to us. It was right. given to that guy too, you know. That's right. He and, received and, him right right then and there. And they both have the same the same situation, right? right? They're both and, and I think as we look at why is Simon included? Well, yeah. And 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 why are these criminals? Well, yeah, included? you went through this cast of characters. So yeah. why do we have this? Why is Luke telling us this part of the story? Why did God inspire these particular events to take place and to be recorded in the scriptures right. for us to to, to see them? And both criminals, guilty. Mm -hmm. They both know they're guilty. Mm -hmm. Both of them seeing Christ, mm -hmm. knowing that he's not guilty. Mm -hmm. they, they can see it. Everybody knows at this point. There's nobody that, even, even the ruling council, they know. Pontius Pilate knew. You know, Pontius Pilate <laughs> clearly knew. Right. And he made that case pretty, pretty boldly, right. truthfully, right. and then eventually caved. But there's a difference between the two. One chooses to own that reality and because he accepts reality, then repent mm -hmm. and hand things mm -hmm. over to Christ. One chooses in that reality to deny it. Yeah. I can see it. It's in front of me. I'm not, sorry, I'm not just, I'm not going to accept this. Right. I'm going to be belligerent, which is our natural tendency for whatever reason. It's what we do because of sin corrupting us. We have a tendency when things are bad to lash out. I just saw this on the Cosby show last night as I was explaining to my daughter why Theo was taking it out on everybody Theo! else. Theo! And, you know, he was mad at Cockroach. He was really mad at himself, but he's taking it out on his whole family. What so, episode was that? Uh, they got onto Dance Mania, and, and uh, okay. Cockroach got in. Say no more! Theo's insisting for him to go in. He went in, Theo didn't, and then he was mad. Anyway, we do have that tendency to lash out based on our own corruption, our own sin inside. So one of these criminals does that. The other one turns it over to Christ. Right. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier, which the, the difference between um, Peter and uh, Judas. Right, yeah, yeah. These, so you, These choices we you have, have to make. You have a choice, right. and, you, and my choice is determine my destiny. That's just the reality of life. Every choice has consequences, whether good or bad. They are what they are. So what we see in that picture is that salvation is not just for everybody. Salvation is for the repentant. Right. Those who choose to turn, who change their, their way of thinking and and embrace God and get on board with him, to them he gives salvation. To those who do not, you get what you choose. And that makes it so obvious with this particular picture because we know for a fact that these men are criminals. I think it, it's, right. some, are yeah. they thieves? I, don't, I think some uh, people Other gospels say, call them thieves, call, but, but they're lawbreakers. In, right. In one or so I think that gives us And the, bad enough to get crucifixion because crucifixion was form. reserved. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the worst of the worst are able to be redeemed yeah and so that has to make you and me feel pretty good because sometimes i feel like the worst of the worst well yeah know? and and paul calls himself the chief of sinners even after writing scripture he says why do i keep doing these terrible things so it's saying I'm... it doesn't matter who you are what you've done yeah. you can be redeemed if you receive it and, and and that's the issue for us as individuals is will i receive it will yeah. i return to to what i'm supposed to be rather than continuing to go my way and, and even in the, the centurion... I was just going to say we can go one step further with that. Well, and we don't know if he was 
if he gave himself to Christ in that moment or not, he made an observation. He made an observation, right. and and it says that he praised God, and well, I think that's a significant thing that he he. It's not just that he recognized that Christ was innocent. Right. Luke records it as this a is a righteous man. man. Yeah. The other gospels recorded this is the Son of God, mm-hmm. and maybe a Son of the gods. You know, depending on on your translation and how you're working that through. But he's recognizing Christ Who he is, as right. this is not just another mm-hmm. crucifixion. Right, right. So what we see there is that even even somebody who's been used to this, mm-hmm. somebody who's hardened, can still have their heart broken and softened. And in this moment, it, it, let's assume that he he is turning his life around and that there's actually uh, at least one movie that Oh, that, that shows Risen that. movie? Yeah, that was yeah. a pretty good one. There, and there are a few different types of, of approaches in, in showing that. But... Regardless, here's a man who has calloused his heart mm-hmm. to weakness. Mm-hmm. You don't get to be a centurion otherwise. You know, you're well, it's leading... like you, you, you equated it to like being a soldier on yeah, Sunday. Right. I mean, there's a... Well, he, and he is. A, right. he's, well, right. a, he's a leader of soldiers. He's a leader of men. He's in very brutal campaigns. Right. That's how you the get to The things you place. see, the things you experience, the things you do, you almost have to develop that right. shell. And as a centurion in charge of this... Yeah. He's used to executions. Right. He's used to Brutal crucifixions. Ones. This is not new. It's not right. But this wasn't normal. Right. And through these situations, the uniqueness of Christ's crucifixion, in some sense, in some way, God broke him, mm-hmm. broke his heart mm-hmm. to be able to see this. That can happen with anybody. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You could be the Pope mm-hmm. and and realize, wait a minute, I'm I'm teaching wrong things, yeah. you know. I, you could be the president of the United States and have your heart broken, and the Spirit opens your eyes. God draws you to repentance, and you repent and get saved. You could be the president of the United States. You could be the king of the world. You could be a centurion at the cross. Even the hardest hearts can be broken, and, and nobody is beyond the reach of God. So we need to never think ever that somebody is too far, whether that's us or somebody else. Just continue to be a witness to the truth and let God handle the, handle the rest of it. But, you know, and and where the centurion is coming from, that place of hardness, Joseph of Arimathea, who, who ends up receiving the body of... He actually, uh, having been pretty quiet through most... We don't see much of him until the end of, right. of these Gospels. Um, he's on the ruling council. He's a part of this. He didn't go along with the decision to crucify Christ. Mm-hmm. But he knows the hatred that they have for him. He knows that those who follow Christ can be put out of the out of the synagogue. He, he's part of the actual council here. Right. He's wealthy. He's he's well known. He's got a reputation, and yet he boldly goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Christ. Lays him in his own new family tomb that no nobody's been buried in yet. So as he does this, it, it's kind of a picture for us as well that that when we have this true faith, this trust in Christ, this response to him, it's not dependent on our status. Right. You know, most of Luke's gospel is focused on outsiders. Mm-hmm. Joseph is like the ultimate insider, and yet we still see faith. We see this picture of him that is equal in its piety, in its faithfulness, in, in its purity and beauty and love to the lepers who turn to him or the, the woman who's healed and turns to him. All of the pictures that we see of these outcasts, Gentiles, tax collectors, and so on, um, sometimes we get this picture in our minds that that God 
is not interested in rich people. And I, I've heard that with like Christian socialism, which is something that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. But the idea that um, that rich people are, they've already received all their mm-hmm. things and mm-hmm. God condemns wealth. But that's not what we see here. God doesn't. That's up to the individual. Right. You know, and when Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all he had and, right. and follow him, he was addressing a specific mm-hmm. attitude of the heart in that person. Mm-hmm. He never says that to Joseph or anywhere else. He never condemns wealth. So what we see here is that it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're from. True faith is not dependent on you your status. Your, right. And it's not deterred by your status. Right. It just doesn't and can't matter who you are or how people think of you. And and then we see the, the faithfulness of the women at the end that I mentioned at the beginning. They're kind of in the background of all this, which is interesting because Luke brings out women regularly. Mm-hmm. Again, he's, yeah. he's looking at those who are the outcasts of society right. and himself being a Gentile. He's on the outside looking in. Um, and so he brings, brings that out a lot. But we see these women who have not abandoned Christ like his disciples when all these, did. yeah, the disciples have all these strong, you know, right. faithful they're, they're men. They're still have, there, right. and they're not making big brash statements. Right. They're not, you know, not having exciting right. stories. Right. They're just staying the course. They're just faithful. They're there, weeping and wailing and mourning, but following. They're there, preparing the spices for burial, following, and even to the point where they prepare the spices and then they rest on the Sabbath mm-hmm. to be obedient to God's command. There is a faithfulness that that is not necessarily what people expect. We want to see religious activities right. and so on. And, you know, the doctrine of vocation is a really important thing. Whatever we're doing, do it faithfully to God. And and I think that was a, it's a good, probably a good place for us to close is right. the reality that faithfulness to God has many faces. Well, I think also I'm just going to add a little tag real quick here because I don't know if it's the season of life that I'm going through right now or what, but that the women and, and their role in this section really got to me because it is this quiet stability in the midst of horrible things, in right. the midst of chaos, in the midst of you might feel like there is no hope, There is this is just awful, things are awful. And I think that's important to take into our own lives when things feel horrible and overwhelming and like there is no hope, just stay the course. Yeah. Keep I think faith. it's worth noting in our particular time in society when there's such a focus on gender roles yeah. and, and all these battles back I don't and think it matters that they're women necessarily. I, I, I just, well, I think it does. I think I think that's a specific thing. To, to your point, this is true of anybody. Right, right. That's what I'm getting but at. I, but I think it is significant that these women who are in the background in a quiet, submissive role... And are expected to term, be that way. They are continuing in their faithfulness. So it really doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter what your role is. Your faithfulness is still faithfulness. That's what God is looking for. And if you're a a preacher to thousands, Mm -hmm. or if you're a fisherman, or if you're a, a, a woman who is mourning and preparing spices for burial, God expects your faithfulness to him more than anything else. And we will stop there for today. So thank you guys for listening.